The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Star Wars 7x7, episode 501. Well, there was no helping it. It's the 501st episode, so we've got a very special episode, an interview with the founder of the 501st Legion, Albin Johnson. Punch it, Chewie. Hi, this is Mike and Joe from the Cantina Cast. And you're listening to Star Wars 7x7, the only daily Star Wars podcast. Hey Rebel Rouser, welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host, Alan Voivod, and if you are not familiar with the 501st Legion, well, let me give you a brief history. They were first canonized in a novel and an ebook by Timothy Zahn called Survivor's Quest, that's the novel, and Fool's Bargain, that is the ebook. And Vader's Fist, also known as the 501st Legion, was Vader's personal force of clone troopers and stormtroopers under his direct command, so the elite, the best of the best. And they first appeared in the movies in Revenge of the Sith in 2005. It was the blue clone troopers that went with Anakin slash Vader into the Jedi Temple. And they have since become an integral part of Star Wars stories. Now, of course, when the canon that had been canon became no longer canon, (laughs) that is, when the expanded universe became marked as legacy books, much of the history of the 501st went away. But they were still canonized from Revenge of the Sith, and they have recently made an appearance again in Star Wars Battlefront Twilight Company, where Blizzard Force... The snowtroopers that are on Hoth are actually a subunit of the 501st of Vader's Fist. But the history of Vader's Fist actually goes way back to 1997, and two men, Albin Johnson and Tom Cruise, who were so excited about the re-releases of the Star Wars trilogy that they dressed up in Stormtrooper costumes and attended the movie's premieres at their local movie theater in South Carolina as troopers. And from those humble beginnings, an incredible organization is formed. And In honor of our 501st episode, the founder of the 501st, Alvin Johnson himself, has graciously agreed to join us for an interview. So without further ado, let's take you to that interview. Good evening, Alvin, and uh, welcome to Star Wars 7x7. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's jump right in. Um, Where does the the 501st Legion stand right now in terms of uh, number of members, number of approved costumes, uh, the amount that you've donated to charity over the years, that sort of thing? That's a lot of information, yeah. (laughs) Right to it, right to it. Yeah, the the 501st right now is currently at about just short of 8,500 members active, Uh, but that uh, doesn't really uh, cover the whole picture. Mm -hmm. We've had over... 10,000 members at any given time. Uh, it's just that we uh, kind of keep people to a higher standard and, and require them to be active, uh, trooping at least once a year, and that's how they're counted towards that number. Uh, but there's probably been well over 10,000 that have passed through our doors at any you know any given time over the last 
oh my gosh, 18 years. Um, that's spread out over 48 countries uh, throughout the world. Wow. Uh, over 120 garrisons is what we call our chapter or outposts if, if it's a smaller group uh, that work up to being a full garrison. And uh, I think last year we were clearing about $24.5 million in uh, charities that we were participating in. Uh, that doesn't mean we actually dug the money out ourselves or uh, raised the money just ourselves, but it was in partnership or uh, collaboration with uh, larger partners uh, with whom we appeared. $24.5 million last year. That's astounding. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, it was uh, funny. We hadn't tracked uh, charitable donations for years and years, and, and one day I was just sort of sitting in my, my room thinking, you know, it'd be kind of cool if I did a campaign to challenge people to, you know, let's make a million dollars. And then when uh, our charity uh, team put the numbers together and had everybody pool it together, <laughs> the number dwarfed the, the one that I thought of. So it was, it was pretty satisfying, you know, we cleared that. So when did the charitable function of the 501st begin? Um, and how does the organization or the individual garrisons or outposts decide what charities will be supported? That's a great question. Um, a lot of people are under the impression that I started the 501st solely for charity. And, um, and while I would love to take credit for that, that's, that's just not the case. Um, the, the cynical answer I like to give uh, <laughs> skeptics is uh, that – you know, at the beginning, uh, we, we were looking for any excuse really to to, to get in the armor and to and uh, to, to show off, show it off. Um, costuming is, you know, by its very nature, a little vain, and um, we don't think the kind of money that we sank into armor individually uh, for it to just sit there. So I think a lot of people were just looking for excuses, any excuse to be invited out to to appear in costume. And I think what happened was uh, just by chance, you know, we, we quickly noticed that in our communities, uh, there were different charitable organizations that could use what I call walking scenery. And, uh, <laughs> you know, one of the first was uh, out west in the mountain garrison, uh, which is Colorado, and they were doing uh, candle lighters, uh, local uh, charity organization. And it's been part of a philosophy of ours all along that um, in the development of it, I realized that you could probably get a lot more participation from members as, as a club grows rather than just focus on it being one big organization. You sort of franchise it and make the focus about their local community and what they can do to show up at movie theaters and the like. <clears throat> they'll, they'll get more behind it. And it just happened to be that they turned that focus into charity. Uh, just about every garrison outpost squad, uh, they, they have something that is near to them and dear to them in their community, and it, and it varies depending on the community. There might be people near the St. Jude's Hospital that puts a lot of work into St. Jude's, and uh, you know there might be people you know closer to the Make a Wish uh, chapter in their state, and so they put a lot of energy into that. So it kind of varies, you know, from state to state and country to country. And you know, I'm always amazed when I hear about charity uh, work in other countries, and I hear about endeavors that I'd never thought about. Like uh, in Spain, uh, the group has, uh, the Spanish garrison has actually recently inducted me in what they call uh, Space Balds, <laughs> Bald Head. I like the movie Space Ball. 
And these are guys that, like me, uh, are, are uh, you know, blessed with a perfect head. No reason to have hair cover it. <laughs> and um, they find that as a, a – this was a unique. I've only heard about it this the last week. Um, that they they take their helmets off to show kids who are undergoing chemo. Hey, look, I'm I'm uh, I'm in the same boat as you, and it kind of breaks that barrier for them. So I'm always amazed at how innovative uh, different groups are uh, in the 501st to find different ways to to give back, and it may not just be money; it might be just those kinds of gestures of kindness. Right? Yeah, because it's not just it's not just money; it's the visits and the attention and and the participation in the community that you build. And I find it interesting that you refer to the costuming as being a vanity thing in a way, because it almost struck me as being entirely the opposite in a way, because of the anonymity that you get by getting inside the costume and putting the bucket on. And yeah, yeah, it's, it seems like, you know, from your perspective, it's almost, it's almost the opposite of that. Yeah, a lot of people ask me why why the stormtrooper? Why did I start out with stormtrooper? And the first thing I do is say, you know, I I don't have Hollywood good looks, all right. And uh, <laughs> Star Wars, uh, when I wanted to get close to Star Wars, the, the stormtrooper was the most accessible character. I'm I'm only five eight, so I certainly couldn't be Darth Vader uh, or Chewbacca. But the mask affords you the ability to completely uh, be that character and. And in, in that sense, I think uh, it's a sort of a displaced vanity. It's uh, it's uh, it's showmanship. I mean, you know, showmanship at, at its heart is is sort of being an extrovert and uh, wanting to to show show yourself off. And so there's a there's a twofold thing I think going on. They want to be that character and be a part of the Star Wars universe. Or at least I did. And then another part of it is uh, feeling that anonymity uh, because uh, you're part of uh, you know, a greater whole, a greater collective. And uh, the Stormtrooper just turned out to be the perfect fit for us uh, because uh, th- there's no diminishing returns on, on that character. You can have as many as you want, it just gets better. You can't have 20, 30 Darth Vader's or Han Solo's or it just looks ridiculous. But <laughs> the Stormtrooper, you know, the Stormtrooper, they, you put the helmet on and people register... Um, you know what you are and who you are, and 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 I think in that sense, that's that's the whole point of uh, showmanship is to to entertain and at the same time, you know, garner that kind of attention. Right, and and I think also just for people who enjoy it so much, but maybe you know their their temperament is more of uh, an introverted one, or you know, or particularly shy in some cases. You would think, yeah, you would think. You know, the funny thing is I have a psych degree, and the one thing that I've always been interested in is the juxtaposition of, uh, you're, you're right, there's a, there's a healthy portion of, you know, uh, what I call uh, socially challenged people. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll own that. Um, but what's interesting is <clears throat> the juxtaposition between uh, a character, like the Stormkeeper, who is supposed to be completely, uh, um, you know, automated, uh, you know, robotic in his thought, uh, conforming, uh, always you know obeying what the what the the, the social norm is or for them, and uh, and the fact that the people who dress in it are the exact opposite. They're they're colorful colorful personalities. Uh, they 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 want to kind of break out from what society's telling them what to do, and and they actually deviate enough to to put on these silly costumes and go out there and and do these things. So 
it's kind of this weird juxtaposition of those two complete extremes. Yeah. And actually speaking of the juxtaposition thing as well, I think probably one of the elements of the 501st that maybe doesn't get as much attention you know, for the backstory is just how, uh, as the part of how it started where when you initially launched, you had launched it with the uh, detention block 2551 website mm-hmm. on GeoCities, and there were funny captions with photos of, of you and your cohorts trooping, and that juxtaposition of the very, you know, staid uniform that, you know, doesn't really lend itself to comedy per se, but right. it almost, you know, works comedically because exactly because of exactly that, and that was yeah. just the start, and then you continue to add to the backstory and the whole thing of Vader's fist, you know, being the elite force that supported Darth Vader. And just in thinking about it, how much do you think the creativity around the story of these troopers being out and about, how much do you think that played a role in the success of the organization? I really hope it, it had a lot to do with it. Um, <clears throat> you know how just about anybody can't believe their good luck when, a, when, a, when an idea they have actually works. I think, I think as humans, we're wired to sort of be skeptical of, of uh, except for, you know, people like Steve Jobs and the like. I mean, there, <laughs> there, there are people who are fully confident. Uh, going into it, um, you know, I, I I was trying to architect the thing as a, as a hook. And the the idea of the website was this, this hook that, you know, we it was clear that people were starting to show up uh, um, around the world in these costumes as, as hard as they were, you know, almost 20 years ago to, to, to get or make. But I thought, you know, there, there are a couple of hooks you can use to really tie this together. One of them is story. And you just got to go back to why Star Wars sells and it's a good yarn. Um, and I thought uh, if, if we could tap into some niche of the Star Wars universe that hadn't been explored and uh, Lord knows it's been fully, fully explored and, Keeps getting forward now, but um, if if we could tap into something that kind of kind of uh, resonated with the same uh, days of yore uh, feel, uh, you know, the, the tales of high adventure and 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 uh, the idea of uh, this this unit, um, I thought we had something. You know, I thought the people that that would be attracted to being a stormtrooper would be attracted to um, you know having this sort of inside joke, uh, if you will. Uh, that anytime you see Vader stalking around in the movies and pointing at a random set of stormtroopers, that yeah, that's that's his guys and that's us. And um, you know, it's 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 always interesting to me just how far a good yarn will take you, because I think that really it, early on that really resonated, and and because of the um, increasing inclusion of the Legion in in the canon, you know, in the, in the story of Star Wars, uh, that's only built on that. So. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited that worked, I, and I do think that that had a big part to play in the beginning. And I gotta say too, the my personal favorites. I've always been a fan of snowtroopers, and with um, the change in in canon with it being under Disney now, uh, I don't know if you've had the chance to read Star Wars Battlefront Twilight Company, but they specifically identify the snowtroopers on Hoth that arrive with Vader as being part of the 501st. Oh wow! No, I I have to admit I missed that. That's that's exciting. Yeah. That kind of that, that kind of ties into what what we were hoping for. That what you see in the um, the original trilogy uh, was pretty much Vader's off the books unit, 
if you will, and uh, uh, the guys that, that, that did his dirty work, you know, the most exciting work, which is chasing after our heroes. Right. So that's cool. I like I like to hear that. Yeah, definitely. All right, so two decades, 18 years, crazy. First of all, like, does it – how do you – feel when you actually stop to think about it or do you even stop to try and comprehend the magnitude of what you have created inspired um <laughs> whatever word you'd like to choose yeah i <clears throat> i gotta say i i get brought down to earth real quick about that <laughs> um i you know first of all your mind can't process anything uh, you do being successful on that scale uh, like i say the average person is you know, we, we all have ideas, we have dreams, we have, you know, you know, uh, little pet projects that we think that would be good. And, um, you know, I think the, for the most part, people would be really surprised if, you know, that little invention that they made uh, actually sold uh, really well on Amazon or and made them a millionaire. Um, that's the hope, you know, you hope for it. Right. Um, but when, when I, you know, honestly, and this is not any kind of false modesty, but it's really hard to... Uh, it's really hard to, to, to internalize a lot of it when, when you know just how hard everybody else is working. Now, it's like I told a lot of people, uh, you know, I take, I'll take credit for, you know, the first couple of years uh, where, you know, I went through a lot of personal anguish trying to get uh, a, a foothold in the fan community uh, for, you know, the, what was the 501st squad as it started out. There was a lot of uh, early attempts uh, on part of the competitors to turn it into a money-making uh, uh, enterprise. And uh, there was just a lot of work to, to try and convince people that this was something that uh, that we could do. And, and that's probably why it goes back to why I'm not paid and why there are no dues. And um, it was it was very much a service-minded uh, model we were trying to build. So, yeah, when I look at it, I, <clears throat> I try really hard uh, to, to take it as a team win. Uh, because I, I I know so many people that have invested so much into making the Legion good, and they they never take any credit for it. Uh, they never they never get really recognized for it. I mean, people from um, the costume um, craftsmen who, who who build better costumes, the people who put out the graphics, the people who who do the actual trooping, uh, the PR work, uh, the different cool pieces of uh, internal merchandise we use to just sort of uh, where where wear our pride on our sleeve literally it it is it's mind-boggling um just how big it's gotten but i have a hard time i have a hard time kind of going yeah that's me because it's just been so many people (laughs) working on it you know what i mean right and you've written a tremendous series of articles about the history of the 501st. And for everybody listening, we are going to link to Albin's articles on StarWars.com. Those will be linked at the blog post for this show's episode at SW7X7.com. And so can you identify like a, a point at which your experience of the Star Wars franchise might have changed as a result of trooping? Like, is there sort of a, you know, this is kind of how I felt about it before I started trooping, and then now that I've been doing it for nearly two decades, you know, like, seeing it through that lens has has altered the way I think about things? Wow, that's a good one. Um, I don't think I've ever been asked that one before. (laughs) Well, you've Um, been interviewed quite a lot, so I'll consider that a badge of honor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, people have asked, you know, what is your greatest moment and, and that sort of thing. And, or when do you think it, when was the moment you realized it was going to get big? 
but you're right. Uh, when did the script sort of flip, as it were? And I, I realized that uh, I I was I was you know a wash in the actual fabric of, of the Star Wars uh, saga, um, meaning you know you're you're in the midst of it and you're actually participating. Right. Ah, wow. Um, part of it is when you finally meet the the actors you know who played your heroes. And um, I tried early on. A lot of members have, uh, Legion members have, 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 have taken the same tact, and that is really respect them. Uh, you know, these are these are people that that are near and dear to us for the characters they played. And and uh, early on, I, I wanted to start bringing them in as honorary members uh, to to honor them through acts of service when, whenever we see them. So it's kind of a challenge we put up. To, to the different units. Whenever an actor is in town, you know, we'll pick them at the airport if they want, or take them out to dinner. Um, you know, take care of things for them to show them how much we appreciate. Them. I think that's when it it got really interesting. I mean, a, a good anecdote would be, uh, I think it was 2002 in Atlanta for Dragon Con. There must have been 12 uh, different Star Wars actors that were there. That was the the heavy. Uh, you know, uh, sell for Dragon Con that year. And I arranged a dinner in, in underground Atlanta for all of them. And um, for whatever reason, they, they decided not to pre-order their food uh, months in advance. So when the time came, uh, the, wa- the head waitress and I really busted our butts to um, get the food out to them. And I found myself all of a sudden, I'm running between the table where I you know, made some uh, nice golf shirts for them with the Bible First logo on them uh, to their color and size preferences and then bringing them their food. And, and I think it was right then I, I kind of looked around with, you know, food stains all over me and out of breath. And it was Jeremy Bullock uh, who played Boba Fett right. who sat me down. And I felt so uh, just, I felt just frazzled because no one seemed happy. They were, I'm sure. But, you know, I, it, it didn't go as well as planned. And it felt like a big disaster. And uh, he sat me down and he goes, you know, uh, I, I, I can tell you're probably feeling pretty bad about this, but let me tell you, you, you did a good thing. Everybody here is happy and you know, you're making us feel special. And I just want to tell you how much I appreciate it. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, Boba Fett is uh, sitting here telling me I did a good job. And and uh, wow, I'm on the inside now. Right. Uh, it's nothing glamorous, but this is what I'd want to do. Right. If, if I if I could ever meet these uh these heroes of mine, I'd, I'd want to show them how much we love what they did. And I, I think that that was probably an early on moment where I realized that I was on the other side of the fence and it, and it felt pretty good. That's fantastic. I love that story. And I will say too, I think that's sort of been your instinct all along. I mean, I read the, the article on starwars.com about your first encounter with a star Wars celebrity with um, Peter Mayhew at the comic yes. book signing and just how, um, <laughs> I guess he had not expected that to be a stop and had privately been having uh, arguments with the uh, the promoters or whoever was bringing him on a tour. But then when the time came to switch, you know, switch on and be in front of the crowd, how incredibly wonderful and kind and generous and gracious he was with his time and mm-hmm. and how that was an inspiration um, to you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I had barely scratched the surface of getting to know I, I, I know Peter really well and, and Angie and their family um, now, but uh, it, it was it was really eye opening. I remember preparing 
uh, a speech that I had for, for Peter Mayhew, uh, <laughs> for meeting him for the first time. And, you know, I'm standing in front of the mirror going, you know, Mr. Mayhew, I'm so excited to meet you. And, oh. it's amazing, you know? mm-hmm. and uh, of course that never happened because we never got the chance to get our helmets off. And if anything, he seemed a bit put out with us because you know, he thought we were colluding with the people who interrupted his, uh, his evening. <laughs> right. But, um, but yeah, no, that was, uh, God, that was a, that was an amazing, amazing first, contact you know my first ever star wars celebrity and uh you know we can focus on the negative but really was is like you say i mean the the guy was just so you know generous with his time with the fans uh old young and you never know you never know that he was inconvenienced uh, because he just he just really wanted to get that energy out in in later years now that you've gotten to know him did you tell him that that was you inside one of the uh one of the stormtrooper oh. costumes, and what did he have to say about that? Oh yeah, well it was that. I think it was that. Um, I think it was two thousand. It was about two years before uh, the the dinner in Atlanta that uh, we had one of our first. It was it was in fact the first ever mixer uh, that the Five First Legion has and is kind of famous for now with the the celebrities. And that's a whole other story how the newer celebrities are are learning about the Legion. And, uh, you know, like the prequels, when those came out, how they had to learn about it. But, yeah, it was at the first uh, first mixer. I think it was about 2000 in Atlanta. And uh, he was a guest of honor, and we were all toasting him. And I, get, I told that story. And uh, he's heard me tell it a couple times more. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and he gets a big laugh out of it because, you know, it's it's pretty ironic how how, how much this is, has paid off in terms of our partnership. And how close everybody's become, and little did we know, you know, that was the first time we'd ever, ever worked together, and it would be far from the last. Right. So you mentioned working with the new actors, um, but what about the the new company too? Like, did the sale of Lucasfilm to Disney have any effect on the five hundred and first? Well, like a lot of change, it sent a lot of people into hysterics. If you can imagine a. A lot of the success of the Legion is owed to Steve Sansweet and Mary Franklin, who were the fan relations folks at Lucasfilm, and they were so wonderful about uh, giving us leeway uh, to do what we do, as long as we showed them respect and kept them informed and complied with, you know, their very modest request. Um, now you're talking about, you know, a much bigger company, a totally different set of people you got to work with. And um, notwithstanding the, the long relationship we'd had with Disney in Orlando for the Star Wars Weekends uh, events, which were very successful, well-received, and, and we got a lot of positive feedback from Disney, you just can't help but wonder <clears throat> when you're under that, lo- that large a microscope if it's going gonna, it's gonna to just make things weird. Uh, so there was a lot of concern, but you know, we, were, we were quick to, to let people know, uh, look, you know, this this can only be a good thing because Disney is known for putting a lot of uh, effort into whatever they do. And, um, you know, we we just have to stay positive and, and, and try and deliver the best service we can under, you know, a different model, perhaps. And um, last two years, it's, it's, it's done pretty well. So, yeah, there was a lot of concern at the beginning. But I think that's that's the case anytime you have change. Is there still, because of course Steve Sansweet is now with Rancho Obi-Wan and Mary Franklin is with Reed Pop, but is there 
a fan relations department now that you work with or how does it yeah. how does it work now yeah there's a uh, there's a there's a team that has uh, been tasked uh, exclusively to working with fan clubs and the exciting uh, development from all this is that it's not just the legion that uh, there's the rebel legion and the mandalorian mercs and jedi assembly and dark empire and the galactic academy and so many of these other clubs that uh, you know, they, they all, I think you know, we always try to make them feel welcome and have a seat at the table, but um, the the team uh, with Lucasfilm now doing fan relations, they've, they've really uh, developed that. They've really made the table bigger and made people feel welcome at it. So we, we have regular meetings with them on the phone, uh, Legion Command staff, and um, their challenges, like anything else. Um, a different model in the way that, that we work with them, but uh, it's like anything else. You adapt, you, know, you innovate, and uh, so far they've just been nothing but wonderful to us. And it's really good to know that they still uh, they want to see costuming fans succeed, which is so uh, such a blessing uh, that people don't take uh, that they take for granted. They don't realize just how wonderful that is. There are other companies that wouldn't tolerate uh, us tromping around in their intellectual property. (laughs) (laughs) They're very good about it. That's great to hear. (laughs) And you mentioned Legion Command staff. I guess you're a Legion commander of the 501st, which means, but you had been away from the 501st from a time. Is that right? Yeah, uh, from time to time, uh, uh, depending on what I was doing, whether I was... uh, you know, raising kids or uh, you know, uh, my wife uh, going back to school and the like. Um, sometimes you have to step back from uh, something this involving because there's just an incredible amount of work uh, that goes into the Legion. And I'm afraid I, I probably don't give even 10% of what it really requires, but thankfully we have a lot of, a lot of really talented people that, that, that do some amazing stuff. But I was away for a while. And it's sort of a message I preach to a lot of members. Uh, I feel kind of like Forrest Gump over the years, uh, bumping into so many awesome people, and then maybe I don't see them again. You can imagine how many faces I've seen in, in 20 years. Oh, yeah. And uh, I try and really preach the idea that you know there's a revolving door uh, on a club like this. You get so many people that come in, they're so excited, they want to get all the armor, they want to do everything, 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 and then they burn out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to tell people, like, you know, fandom is like any hobby. You know, you, you, want, to, you want to do it to a degree that you're still meeting your responsibilities and it's still a healthy outlet. And I think it is a very healthy outlet. I wish more of the world uh, embraced role play of some kind. Uh, it really teaches you a lot. But, uh, you know, walk away from it. You know, embrace comic books for a while or, you know, maybe go you know, work on your NBA or something like that and, and come back to it. It's Star Wars is, is, is kind of a big toy chest that is sitting there ready for people to come and get what they want out of it. And, uh, you know, barring the, the sort of dark period in the, uh, the eight, late eighties and nineties <laughs> when there wasn't a lot of Star Wars going on. Um, right. I think it's proof, you know, that, that it's a, it's a, it's a enduring, enduring tale that, uh, Anybody can you know, come back to and find find something from it. Absolutely, could not agree with you more. 
And so then what do you do as Legion commander? Like, what does that mean on a day-to-day basis? I basically just do interviews like this. And, uh, <laughs> no. uh, but the, <clears throat> the Legion commander role, uh, by definition, has many, many, many uh, duties attached to it. There's everything from you know, putting forth a plan for what our policies are uh, that's encapsulated in a charter that I, that I started in about, 2000, 2001, um, uh, you know, trying to adjudicate the, uh, the execution of those policies. Uh, there's costume standard that we work with the Legion membership officer to uh, maintain approval of costumes, which they take care of. Um, there's a Legion captain of the guard that makes sure that we, that we meet our code of conduct, uh, we conduct ourselves professionally uh, in public and, you know, do anything to, to hurt the Star Wars image or, or the 501st, uh, and to treat the public respectfully. And uh, there's you know, the Legion webmaster who who has to uh, put the nice face on us uh, and keep what I consider an internet, internet-based club from the beginning and still is, keep that communication line open. There's a PR officer in their team that, that makes us look good on social media. Uh, and the whole council that uh, is represented by members of each garrison and uh, outpost throughout the world. So there's a lot of just talking, uh, a lot <laughs> of talking, talk, talk. <laughs> and it's really easy for, for people close to me uh, that, that aren't involved in it to go, wow, you know, why do a bunch of nerds need to talk about so much stuff? But you got to remember, you know, any collective effort, when you hit a certain number of people with as many uh, and vivid imaginations and, and dynamic personalities. There's going to be disagreement. There's going to be questions. There's going to be a need for dissemination of information. And so, it's a very boring description for you know uh, the, the head of a stormtrooper uh, or in, in a Star Wars Imperial Club. But you know, behind the curtain, there's just a lot of really boring work that that has to be done. And you try <laughs> to remember that you do it because. What it, it, honestly, I, I, I liken it to a, the guy at the party who's always filling the chip bowls mm-hmm. or, or making sure that the, um, the, the keg is tapped. Uh, he's not enjoying the party as much as everyone else, but he takes some pride in the fact that everyone's having a good time. So that's that, that really should be what the Legion is a the Legion commander position is about making sure everything's good and fair, we don't compromise ourselves. Um, and uh, you know, we just we just we try and service uh, all the members as best as we can to make sure that they can enjoy the experience. And would you say there's a certain joy to filling the chip bowl, even if you're not necessarily part of the party directly in its way? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'm a host by, by nature. I, I, I like having company over and I get that same thrill. Um, I take a lot of joy in seeing um, things online in uh, social media from all the different units, you know, they're out there with their costumes on and they're just so proud and they're, you know, they're just so excited to be doing it. And it, it's, it's very gratifying to know if, if I can do just some, something small to help keep that going. Um, that's, that's an incredible rush for me. Um, I've had, you know, Star Wars actors you know, tell me, thank you uh, for, for doing all this. And, and probably the greatest moment was when, you know, I met George Lucas uh, in Pasadena for the Rose Bowl parade. He invited 
you know, 200 of us out there to, to march with him. And he turned to me and said, thank you. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> 200 stormtroopers uh, standing at attention in, in their armor with their, their, their home insignia uh, patches on their uh, shoulder belt. And I, I, I admit it was a very impressive sight, but uh, and I turned to him and I said, this, man, this, this is your, this is your doing. You created this and he pointed and he said, no, but you, you did this. And wow. <laughs> to, to have, uh, to have someone, everyone, every Star Wars fan is so grateful uh, for what he did. I mean, here, here's a guy who was having, you know, heart palpitations, getting on his bike, going between three different shooting sites in 76, trying to get this movie off the ground. Right. But someone that you, you feel like such a debt of gratitude for him to, to feel like, you, you know, the little part that I did uh, honored uh, what he, he did. Oh, I, I can't tell you. That's, that's like having, you know, your dad tell you, good job, son. You know, it's just a, right. that, that was incredible. Yeah. I mean, when I heard the story about that for the first time, I was thrilled, so thrilled for you because my gosh, what you have, you know, gone through to, you know, bring this to life and what, you know, what people have done to rally around you, like to be recognized like that. I was so happy for you to see that actually happen. I mean, that's, that's everything that you want and hope for, for a venture that you start with something like this. Yeah. Yeah. And that might be an opportunity you never get. And you might, you might go your whole lifetime and never hear uh, somebody appreciates what you did. Uh, the the person who created it, you know, uh, appreciating what you did. That's almost like, a classical pianist uh, having you know Beethoven show up and go, I like how you played my music. What you never get to, you right. know, you never get to hear that. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that 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 right there is, is gratification enough. Yeah, and it's interesting too because occasionally, um, I think one of my own, uh, and I, I don't think I'm alone in this. Um, you know, particular beefs with Lucas is that I feel as though the franchise doesn't necessarily belong to him anymore. And I don't mean that from the perspective of, well, he sold it to Disney or anything like that. I mean that it's, it's all in our hands right now. And that, you know, the star Wars franchise lives on because of us as fans and how we feel about it and what we do with it. And I think that's very well expressed with what the 501st Legion does. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is, absolutely something that is owned by the fans and and has taken on its own life because of the fans and that occasionally Lucas doesn't necessarily seem to realize that it's out of his hands anymore but he certainly seems to have realized that by you know by the interaction with you and and all the troops at the Rose Parade yeah yeah you know he strikes you as uh he struck me as as a very very humble person. So, um, I don't mean to, to mimic him, but I think, you know, he'd be a much the same way if somebody would say, did you know, it was, in fact, that was one of our jokes that I turned to him and I said, did you think star Wars would get, you know, I, I, I got finally got to turn the question on someone else. And, uh, while we're having our little heart to heart, the camera's snapping away. I turned and I said, can I just ask you, did you ever think it'd get this big? And he looked at me with this conspiratorial, sideways glance and a smirk and 
and just shook his head no. <laughs> and I thought that is so gratifying, you know, to know, hey, yeah, you get that, right? You know, and mm-hmm. he could have easily said, of course, you know, it's brilliant. What do you think? I'm a genius, but you know, he, I would, I would love to, I'd love to get to know George Lucas outside of George Lucas. Like it'd be great if he was just another fan, and you know, he has said he's going to go to this movie like a fan. Uh, if you didn't know it was George Lucas, I'd love to just have a beer with him and just, you know, hear hear how he feels about all this. You know, I, I look at Star Wars a lot like uh, the King Arthur mythology. I grew up just absorbing those books. And, um, you know, Lamort to Arthur was one of the first uh, tellings of the, you know, structured tellings of King Arthur. And I, would, I was always fascinated to absorb yet another retelling of it. They'd always tweak a little something here or there. Merlin's good in this one. He's bad in that one, whatever. Right. And it, it just struck me that um, Star Wars is a lot like that. I mean, it, it belongs to the collective unconscious now. It's seeped into that into, into that that, uh, that framework now of, of our collective unconscious and what we all uh, absorb as archetypes, you know, the Joseph Campbell model and everything. And it... And that's why I tell people it will survive any retelling. It will recite, it will survive any any modification to it, because uh, that's what you do. You know, with a good with a good Star Wars or with a good story universe, uh, you're going to tweak things because in the end, it's, it's it's about people. You know, it's a story about people. It's what we did around the campfire as cavemen. We we told stories so that we could relate to the characters. And Star Wars. Uh, I don't get the nerd rage a lot of people have about, you know, the prequels and, and, and the, the nervousness they have in inspecting every frame of the of the of the trailer. I'm like, <laughs> look, you just put on your eight year old hat, go, you know, like an eight year old would, like I was when I saw the movie for the first time in '77. Just just put on the eight year old hat, and I guarantee you, when you open it, your your heart up a little like that, you're going to get a lot more out of it. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's for all of us. I and mean, it's fascinating to see outside of even the movies and outside of even the books and the art, what the fans, uh, go out there and do. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, to your point about just being able to sit and have a beer with George Lucas, I do think outside, of, even outside of star Wars, the man is a fascinating, wicked, smart and very creative individual. And I do think it would be, pretty amazing to be able to spend some <laughs> some non star wars fan qualified time with him certainly yeah i like the clip of him making pancakes with his adopted kids they played years ago i i just looked at it and went i i know that i i've been a single dad before i i can relate to you man mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't always want to be in the kitchen and go well show me your pancakes i'd like to see how you'd make the pancakes right <laughs> um <laughs> but you mentioned um mentioned uh, things about um, costuming standards a little bit earlier. And I wanted to ask you about the force awakens and how that's going to affect costuming standards. Obviously, of course, the new stormtroopers, there have already been costumes made and Anovos, of course is working on it too, but you've got, you know, the flame troopers and the new snow troopers and probably the Imperial officers are going to be different in captain Phasma's armor. And, um, 
Oh, what else? Oh, even the you know the new Tie Fighter pilots, the, the Special right. Forces Tie Fighter pilots. So, how do you, as an organization, like this is the biggest change that will have set upon you, you know, in ten years since Revenge of the Sith? How do you deal with um, these new costumes coming out? Well, it, it, it like you say, it's nothing new to us. When the prequels came out, there was a lot of uh, uproar over you know at what point do we approve these costumes and and uh, who's going to be the first to, you know, there's there's always that race to see who's going to make the, the first, you know, really good version of a costume you see on the, on the screen. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, great. I'm grateful that we don't have the, the, the conundrum we had around the prequels where um, we, we didn't even know how to classify the clone troopers. Are they good guys? Are they bad guys? You know, right. Should we put them in the Empire? Um uh, th- there's always a, a flurry of activity over that, and I, and I always welcome it because uh, that that's energy that that's being driven by a passion for it. Um, obviously, the landscape's changed a little bit now. You know, years later, you have everything from rubies to now, like you say, Anovos, uh, Anovos to you know the licensed version of it. But um, I, I wouldn't say it's anything that, that's overwhelming. But I, you have so many people that gravitate to different characters. And so, you know, like our Legion membership officer, Brian Anderson, up in the, the New England area, um, he is killing it with uh, the new Snowtrooper armor. He is he's hand-making his, his own design and, and, and replicating it um, and just doing an amazing job. So when I see this stuff come to life, um, it's really old hat to us now at this point. It's just a matter of, of um, you know, uh, sharing of ideas, and, and, and there's just this um, amazing creative energy. I wish I had it. I mean, I wish I could make armor. I, I'm good. I'm good to just take a kit and uh, put it together. <laughs> but um, so it's it's always just so cool uh, to see how people uh, work around technical issues. I remember when. Phantom Menace came out, and that first Dragon Con, uh, the work that uh, women put into trying to make the, um, the Amidala costume, um, it's just, it was just fascinating. It was very Project Runway, you know, like, oh, I love that <laughs> material. Uh, um, I, I have an artistic mind. I wish I was an artist, but I have an artistic mind enough to really, uh, just really groove on, on seeing fabrics and you know hard and soft materials put together to, um, in such a creative way uh, I'm jealous I really really do wish I could do that kind of thing but it's enough that I've been around it and exposed to it enough that um, I can appreciate what people are doing and uh, people are for the most part really um, just very um, community minded about it they'll share ideas and and the like but uh, you're right. Uh, there's a lot of people that are really studying every frame uh, from from those trailers to figure out uh, how these costumes are going to come together. And uh, I guarantee you, uh, it's running in parallel with you know whatever they're going to eventually put out as a costume reference guide. Uh, recently, you know they put the put out the, um, the the reference books on on the costumes. And here, here they are, twenty years later, putting out all the details, and it's pretty satisfying for a lot of us to look at it. And go, yep, yeah, we already knew that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they pretty much figured out all the material and all the the widgets that go into it. 
pretty cool. You'd pretty much reverse engineered all of them. Yeah. Well, what, uh, another fascinating story is I was at um, was it Celebration? Uh, it was, no, it wasn't Celebration Europe. It was Celebration Six or Seven. No, Celebration Six in uh, Orlando. And I forget the gentleman's name who who basically designed all the the sets for A New Hope and in Empire. And uh, I got to talking to him, and, and he would just talk about the internal set for the Millennium Falcon and all the little bells and whistles that he collected from electronic shops and the like to build that very iconic interior. And it, it struck me as it was we were about 10 minutes into the conversation. I'm like, oh, my God. The, uh, Stefan Kimbalista uh, from Belgium and his crew make such amazing, amazing props, mm-hmm. one of which is the interior of the Millennium Falcon. So I, I, I said, could you hang on just a second? And I ran across the convention center and found Stefan and brought him over, and I said, there, <laughs> let the two great minds meet. And uh, if nothing else, you know, uh, rather than rely on hearsay and you know, photo reference, there's the guy. You know, if you want your uh, washers to be the exact right size and in, in the background there, uh, <laughs> this is the guy who did it. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome, and kudos to you for connecting the two. That's tremendous. It had to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so had have, to happen. have you seen the um, the Star Wars costuming exhibit? I think it's only been in, in one place. Maybe it's uh, a second one. Um, no, I'm I'm a pretty big loser. I don't go, <laughs> I don't get out <laughs> to a lot of these really cool things, and and uh, I I would shock people with how little. Uh, I've ever uh, read or owned that is Star Wars. Uh, everybody comes to my house thinking I'm going to have this mini Rancho Obi-Wan and I have maybe <laughs> three old CD cases in my garage of either spaceships or stormtroopers or R2-D2s, and that's about it. Uh, other than the <laughs> Legion archives, and that doesn't belong to me. That's, that's for the Legion. We collect everything over the years, but uh, yeah, myself personally, I don't, I don't really get out much. But <laughs> I hear it's a thing to see. Isn't that what the stormtrooper says? And uh, you hope. Know, yeah, when they're over by the um, the tractor beam cut off, and they're talking about a new a new ship, which the model escapes me now. I know right. we've covered it on the uh, on the trivia challenge that we do weekly <laughs> here, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's one that escapes me. But yeah, you're exactly right. I, I tell you, I, I was in a trivial pursuit, Star Wars trivial pursuit game against, um, let's see, Timothy Zahn, Michael Stackpole, uh, earlier this year, and I learned a very valuable lesson as a Star Wars fan. If you're gonna do Star Wars trivia, go with your first answer, the first thing that leaps to your mind, because almost invariably that is the correct answer. Huh. And I can't believe how many times I, I would, uh, I would, I would second guess myself and go, that can't possibly be the line from the movie. And, oh, yeah, it's just that ridiculous, but <laughs> it's stuck in your head, and, uh, you know, it's pretty funny. So I have to ask, how did you do? You know, I, I flamed out late in the game because, uh, as you know, a Trivial Pursuit, you know, once you get on a roll, um, I, 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 I was leading well into the game, but... Uh, uh, once they get on a roll and they're in the interior of the board, you know they're yep. just they're cleaning up. So um, I, I I did I I represented the Legion well. I, I I 
I uh, I showed up, but uh, but Timothy Zahn was just on a on a tear. There was just <laughs> no stop. Had you met him before? And uh, and I ask, of course, because he is the one who I guess initially first canonized the the five hundred and first with his novel and his ebook, or at least that's where it was first. It first became part of the canon officially. Yeah, no, funny story there. Ah. Um, uh, funny story. Yeah, that was Stellar Con, I think, two thousand three, and um, I hope I'm getting the date right there. I think it's two, it's on the um, on the website, but um, yeah, uh, he was um, he was there, and we inducted him and Michael Stackpole and Aaron Alston as mm-hmm. honorary members, first ever. And it was later that night, probably around eleven o'clock. We were down in the main concourse where all the fan tables are. And uh, young bucks of the Carolina Garrison were deciding to be all, you know, bad boy rogues and, and grab a big cooler full of beer and hang out at our fan table and just hoop it up for for the evening. When along comes Timothy Zahn, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, they said, you know, hey, I'll look sharp. And uh, I had to try to effect the most sober and uh, professional demeanor I could because he had questions. He's like, all right, I want to know more about this Bible first. And uh, funny as it sounds, that was really the only interaction we had that in the you know, presentation of the honorary membership award. When uh, a year later, a close friend of his came up to me and, and told me in, in confidence that he was going to put us in the book. And I thought, really? <laughs> that <laughs> I would have never guessed that that, that first impression was going to be good enough for him to but you know, he, he, I guess he did his research and realized that the group was bigger and more impressive than one buffoon trying to explain it. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he so so grateful him for that. All right, um, I've got one other question for you, and I'm going to ask you to uh, take your uh, psych degree back out and uh, let me know what you think about this. So, just in terms of of thinking about why the 501st and why, you know, it's taken off. Um, you know, I looked at the, at the stats for say, um, you know, the number of members of the 501st versus the rebel legion. And, you know, this is absolutely not to put, you know, any organization down or anything whatsoever, but just how many more have flocked to the 501st by comparison. And I even way back in the early days of, of our podcast had looked at the online game, star Wars, the old Republic, and noted that for every Jedi Knight in the game registered, there are 2.3 Sith Warriors, so more than twice as many bad guys. So just mm. why do you think that's the case? Why do you think um, people are, are drawn to the bad guys when it comes to um, living out their, their Star Wars? Um, and fantasies is not exactly the word I'm looking for, but just living out their fandom, I guess, is probably a better way yeah. of putting it. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. Uh, early on, I I played with the idea of starting a rebel version of it, and I, I felt like I was kind of biting off more than I could chew. Uh, there could be somebody doing that, and they've done a great job. And the Rebel Legion, yeah, they they, God bless them. Um, I think the big the big part in the costuming world, I can tell you right now, really gets to that 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 magic formula that that I was forced to come up with, you know, some of the best innovations are from necessity. And that is, I'm just, you know, not an attractive Hollywood actor. So oh, I had no. to have a helmet. If you look, even, even the, the, the rebel troopers on the blockade runner, you, know, you can see their face. You know, mm-hmm. and, 
I think there's something, I think there's a lot going on here, uh, one of which is the anonymity that uh, the predominantly masked characters of the Empire offer. Uh, I think there is a sense of authority that is believable in our sort of postmodern cynical times that, you know, bad guys are very, you know, embraceable. Um, and I think, you know, you watch something like Game of Thrones and, you know, people are rooting for the bad guys because um, we're just at that point, I think, in our pop culture where we embrace the villains. Uh, more and more villains are uh, a, a more penetrating uh, examination of why we as human beings do what we do. And um, another thing is, you know, with the Rebel Legion, I think uh, um, you just don't have people that, that can play the hero and pull it off. It, that's a big responsibility. I'm just a stormtrooper sitting in the back, you know, holding my plaster, and, and that's okay. But to be Han or Leia or even a Jedi, you know, uh, kids are really sharp. I mean, <laughs> they'll, they'll give you the once over and just go, nope, you know, very easily. Um you, you know, I, I want to take a moment here and, and just give a shout out to every woman who has ever put on the Slave Leia outfit. Because <laughs> the really sad thing is when you hear people scrutinizing these these late young ladies and deciding that the world is just eager to hear their, you know, chauvinistic opinion about it. It, it, it fills me with a rage I can't even express because... I'd give anything uh, to live in an age where enough women loved Star Wars enough to do that. And we are in the golden age of that very thing. And I don't think a lot of people appreciate just how much courage it takes. My wife did it when I first met her. She was doing that costume. And, and she'll tell you, it takes a lot of courage to get out there and basically your underwear and, and, and pull it off. And so that's a grown-up version of what I'm t saying is is the scrutiny level of kids. Kids look at that and go, you're not Han Solo or whatever. We never get that, you know. You're either Vader or you're not Vader. You know, you're either Boba Fett or you're not Boba Fett. So I think a lot of it is is the fact that, uh, you know, nowadays we love playing with the concept of evil. And um, I, I could throw a jab and just say, we got the cooler costumes. But um, <laughs> we do. Um but I, I think it's that. It's the anonymity. And it's, 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 if we're going to role play, you know, most people think they're decent human beings and we comply with social mores and we try and, you know, observe, you know, politeness for the most part. So if you're going to play, why not play the exact opposite in that universe and say, no, I'm somebody who's like, you know, screw it all. I'm, I'm evil. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's a lot more fun in that. So I, hard to convince yourself that you're a hero it's kind of easy to say yeah, i'm a jerk so <laughs> that's kind of fun and probably a little bit of a of a release in a way a little bit of a yes. um okay. you know venting a psychic pressure if you will right yeah it's like i say we're we're kind of towing the line all the time i'm holding a door open for a, a lady today or or uh, excusing myself if i step in front of someone yeah a Sith wouldn't do that. You know, a Stormtrooper would do like, get out of the way. And I, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'll crush you. <laughs> well, Alvin Johnson, thank you so much. 
for your generosity with your time this evening for this interview, and even more so for your your generosity and graciousness over nearly 20 years of trooping. And what an incredible organization you have founded from such humble beginnings. It's just, it is mind-boggling and and astounding and inspiring and so wonderful. So thank you again for taking the time and also for just, you know, taking the time to be on the 501st episode of Star Wars 7x7 too. What a lucky coincidence. That's great, man. I'm, I'm so happy to, I, I just say, I'm just really happy to talk about the Legion because of what everybody does. And when I accept your thanks, I accept it on their behalf because, man, I just some amazing people out there. And I hope you get the chance on, on your show to bring in people from um, you know all over the world and different walks of life in the Legion. It's pretty amazing people. Huh? Thank, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And for our listeners who um, want to learn more about the 501st and the work that you do, where should they go um, to learn more? Well, you can uh, go to www.501st.com. That is the hub. There's a world map. And you can click on that. It's an interactive map, and it will zero you right into where you live, anywhere in the world, and find your local unit. That's pretty cool. Uh, for for those who are under 18, um, about 10 years ago we started, uh, oh, no, about five years ago we started uh, the Galactic Academy uh, for kids. And you can go to galactic-academy.com. And for those of uh, you who are following uh, R2KT, the pink charity droid uh, that I own. Um, you can go to r2kt no hyphen dot com, learn about that. There's also the R2 builders at astromech.net, uh, rebellegion.com, mandalorianmerch.com, and uh, get in there. there. I tell a lot of Star Wars fans, if you haven't tried costuming, you really haven't lived yet. Give it a try. <laughs> and um, R2kt, uh, visible in the behind-the-scenes reel at San Diego Comic-Con. Is there any yeah. chance that we might be seeing her in The Force Awakens? Well, I'll, I'll say, I'll say, I'll put it like this. There's a reason she's in that shop. All right, so uh, while I've never gotten the clearance to actually talk about it, uh, keep your fingers crossed. There's you know no way to, to guarantee anything if we're lucky. Keep your eye open, maybe, just maybe. You might catch a glimpse of uh, a certain affectionate droid so we'll see what happens all right that's gonna do it except for of course the business of your trivia question which we'll have for you after the break hey rebel rouser if you've got a business that you need to get in front of a bunch of star wars fans then i've got an idea for you i'm looking for a sponsor to get the entire star wars 7x7 team over to london for star wars celebration europe next july And we get a ton of exposure when we do Star Wars Celebration podcasts. Not just the regular episodes, but the bonus stuff. And all the in-person stuff, too. Not to mention all the live streaming video we do. So if that's something of interest to you, then reach out via the contact form at SW7X7.com and let's talk. All right, let's handle your trivia question before we go. I'm betting heavily on the (laughs) Sebulban. You know, 501 episodes, and that's still my favorite. Last time we asked you what the seemingly relaxed Princess Leia was doing when Luke opened the door of her prison cell, and that was sleeping. Today's question, what planet should you travel to if you want to plug a few womp rats? 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you get set up for your attack run, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And we'll be able to do even more with the show for you with your support at Patreon.com slash SW7x7. It's not three marks at 210, it's Destiny Unleashed. podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, and all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the Force be with them. All original content is copyright 2015 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it! Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durban Marshall Credit Credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.